show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and today on the podcast, I am so excited to bring you Lisa Webb. So I have this like not-so-secret dream. In my perfect world, I would love to live in Scotland for a year with my family. So for those of you who don't know, my husband is from Scotland and I would really love us to spend a year there for like our kids to get to spend an entire year of seasons and birthdays and holidays with their cousins, for us to explore Scotland and so much more. And honestly, this dream has only become stronger since COVID because obviously we're seeing the limitations of sort of where we're, where we're having to be right now. That's my dream. And like, I really hope to make it a reality, but for now... In this particular moment, the dream is moving to BC at the end of the month, so one major dream at a time. But a person who has done an incredible adventure like this is today's guest. So I was first introduced to Lisa Webb through her wine, women, and well-being events, which are all about bringing women together to create community. What I am most fascinated by about Lisa, however, is the expat lifestyle that she's lived. So we talk in this podcast about what led her and her husband to move to France from Canada, how she had both of her children overseas, her little baguettes, uh, their time in Indonesia, Congo, and what led them back home. So we talk about the highs and the lows of travel with kids, how more people can explore that expat lifestyle, particularly post-COVID, the books that she's written and contributed to, and so much more. It was a really rich conversation. So with COVID-19 and the restrictions on travel, maybe travel does look a little different going forward. Maybe it does actually look like these longer adventures and making that expat lifestyle more and more of a possibility. So I'm just saying. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This particular episode of the Girl Tries Life is brought to you by CPA Alberta. Now, it may be a bit cliche to say by now, but we really are living in unprecedented times. And that's why you should consider hiring a chartered professional accountant, also known as a CPA, to help guide you through this pandemic and jumpstart your recovery. With a CPA on your team, you can be confident that you will find the best solutions to even your biggest business problems. CPAs are trained to dig in and truly understand how an organization operates, where it's already excelling, and how it can be better. For an inside look at how Alberta CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit CPAalberta.com to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to building a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor giving, creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to the community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Okay, so without further ado, let's head into the episode with Lisa.
Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me on the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you. Thank you for having me. So I discovered you through Wine, Women, and Wellbeing, but then when I kind of went on the little research hole and discovered your Canadian expat mom site, I was like, oh no, I've totally heard about you before because I love to travel and I once upon a time wanted to be a travel blogger and I feel like I've seen all the blogs. <laughs> yeah, I wear, I wear a couple different hats and sometimes people don't know that, sometimes they do, uh, but I'm, I'm glad you found me wearing both of my hats. Yeah. So... I'm curious, you really started your travels in 2010 or your, your expat travels in 2010. How did that first trip to France come to be? Whose job moved where? How did it happen? Um, so that was always a passion of mine. I was always a big traveler and my husband was the same before we met. So that was kind of one of the things that linked us together, I would say. And we got married in 2009 and in 2009, right after we got married, his company said, you know, there's an opportunity for you to move forward in your career and it's in France because he works for a French oil company. So their, their main office and their research center are both based out of France. Mm -hmm. And as much as I loved traveling, I'd never considered picking up and moving my life before because those are really two different things. And as a teacher, I always had the opportunity to travel in the summer anyway. So I never felt like I had to totally relocate my life. So that's what brought us there. It was for my husband's work. And we went with the intention of going for three years. And once three years hit, I just couldn't really see us moving back. And the three years turned to 10 years. 10 years total travel, not all in France, right? Right. 10 yeah. years all over the place. And we ended up using France as a home base for the whole time because at a certain point we were living in places where coming back to Canada, we still would always come home, but coming back to Canada frequently was just too expensive, too exhausting with kids, too much of a time change. So France was always home base during those times. But yes, we lived in France and in Asia and in Africa. Yeah. And was it Paris? We lived in Paris for a year and then we moved to the south of France in a little town called Po. And that's where both of my daughters were born. And that, that kind of really became home because that's where we built our family. Yeah. I mean, France is such a hard sell, hey? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's not always easy because when we arrived there... I didn't speak French. So I was like, I hate this because I'm a very social person. And to move to a place where you can't talk to anyone and you can't really function as part of a society, it, I mean, the food and the wine are fantastic, yeah. but I had to get that French piece. And I mean, 10 years later, I'm still working on it. So it was a challenge, but a, a wonderful one. Yeah. And France isn't like, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It's I've spent quite a lot of time in France doing exchanges and living, you know, being an au pair and whatnot there. And it's, um, yeah, it is a challenge in terms of getting in if you struggle with the language in particular. And like, they strike a lot. Like, it's not a joke like they do. Yes, not a lot of people know that. Uh, but all of our friends and family who came to visit quickly found that out because when we were living in the South, they would have to fly through Paris to come and see us. And someone always ended up getting stuck in a strike or their plane was canceled or they got put on a train. Yeah, the striking, that's a real thing. Yeah. With the friend. So you're on this, you're on this, not exchange, you've moved to France, your husband's got his job there for a while and you decide to have your first baby there. What was that 
thought process like of having a baby away from home? I feel like it sounds funny when I talk about it now, because I don't know if it was a survival mechanism or what it was for me, but I am a person who always needs something. I need a challenge. I need a project, something to keep me busy, or I kind of go a little bit crazy. So I quit my job. I moved to a place. I had no family, no friends. I was 30 years old and unemployed. And I just thought, what the hell am I going to do here? And I thought about getting a job, but because it was difficult. And I mean, because I'm a teacher, I could have taught at international schools. And I did that a little bit. I did some subbing and I had job offers to teach at some international schools. But then because we were living this big adventure of of living in Paris, people were always coming to visit. Yeah. And my husband was at work and I, my mom and my aunts were coming and they were going to go to Italy and I really wanted to go with them. And I, I wanted to make the most of our experience while we were there because I didn't know how long we would be there. So I, I didn't want to work because it was the first time in my life that I had the opportunity that I didn't have to work. So I wanted to take advantage of living where we did. So not working, not speaking the language. And I kind of, I took a leave from my job here in Calgary because again, I didn't think it was going to be a forever thing. And I thought, you know what, maybe we should just have a baby. We'd been married for two years at that time. It's like, it takes a while to cook a baby. (laughs) It's not going to happen tomorrow. And we didn't know how long it would take. And I just thought this seems like the time in my life that if it's going to happen and we always knew we wanted kids, but we had never talked about when it would happen before that time in France. And I was just, I was kind of lonely and having a hard time adjusting and we thought, okay, let's give it a shot. And then it just happened very, we were fortunate very quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't difficult. And so then I walked around Paris for eight months with a little baguette in the oven, I say, and I was pregnant. I spent my entire pregnancy up to eight months in Paris. And then at eight months pregnant is when we decided that that would be a good time to move to the South of France. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I moved to this little town in the South of France and I like, I had never been there before. I had never seen it before sight unseen. We didn't have a house. We moved into an apartment hotel. I didn't have a doctor. I just, in hindsight, it seems a little bit crazy, but it, it worked out. And I think because we had kind of his company was holding our hand, we knew they were going to, they weren't going to leave us on the street. They were going to find us a house. I found a doctor. It all worked out in the end, but it is a little bit of a crazy time to move to another city that you've never been to in a country that you're foreign to. But at that time I thought, well, whatever, I've already moved to France. This is already crazy. Let's just add another layer to the crazy. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Well, and the interesting thing about like, about finding that community is that kids when you're traveling really are an opener for conversation with strangers, right? Like people really warm to kids and get to know you that way. Absolutely. And I actually found it far easier to meet people once I had my kids because in Paris, I didn't really know where to look for people because I, I didn't have kids in school. I didn't have kids in a play group. And when we were in the South of France, well, as soon as I had a baby, well, then I could go to the baby group and then I would go to different activities and meet people that way. And I actually found that once my kids got a little bit older, that opened me up to, I mean, sometimes the French have a reputation for not always being welcoming to people who don't speak their language. And I would, by the time my daughters got to be the age where they could speak, 
uh, my French was coming along okay, but I had these two little French francophone kids who would be chatting with each other. And then all of a sudden mom goes to open her mouth. And so that was always like a conversation starter for people because they would assume my kids were French when we're in a grocery store and they hear them chatting. And then I would go to speak and they'd be like, oh, well, wait, where are you from? Are these your children? <laughs> yeah. Do these, do these kids belong to you? Are you the nanny? What's going on here? Oh so it, it was a nice way for me to, uh, to become French, which is funny because a book that I wrote while I was there, not out yet, but it's called Becoming French and it's about our time away. And I really do feel like my kids were that missing link for me. Once I had kids there, it really planted our family roots in France. Yeah. And that made me feel like I just got to understand things differently because then I got to understand how the school system worked and how the, the healthcare system worked and things that as a traveler or as just an expat, you don't always figure out. Yeah. So from France, where did you go next? Because you said Indonesia and Congo. Like what order was what? Indonesia first and then Congo. Yeah. And how long were you in each spot? So we went to Indonesia for a year. And then my husband's company was leaving the city that we were in in Indonesia. So all families were being sent to other places. And then we got the offer to go to Congo. And we weren't sure that we were going to take it. And when I say we weren't sure, it was a strong hell no, like that is not happening Um, because we just never envisioned ourselves living in Africa for an extended period of time, especially with two little, little kids at that time, they were really young, I think two and four. And after we sat with it a little while and it's when things were really not good with oil and gas in Calgary, And we didn't really have something to come back to Calgary for. So I thought, why not just try this? It'll be an adventure. Worst case scenario, if we really hate it, we just move home. So we tried it and we ended up staying in the Congo for two years. And how did you like it? Because like that seems an even bigger culture shock than France in many ways. It was, but it's funny because if I would have come straight from Calgary and gone to the Congo, I think maybe my head would have exploded. But we went to France and that was a layer of getting used to. And then we went to Indonesia and we had to get used to different things. And we lived like we did not live in Bali. We lived on this little Muslim Island in, um, well, the Island itself is big. We lived on the Island of Borneo, but our town was very small. It's called Balikpapan. And our house was surrounded by nine different mosques and we could hear a call to prayer. And I have a video of my daughter who was like two years old at the time singing call to prayer while she's eating her dinner. And it was just such a cultural adjustment having to cover up and being such a visible minority for the first time. But people were so good to us and they, they just loved my kids. And I, the traveler in me, loved living there. So the same thing when we moved to Congo, I knew it was going to be really different. And I had traveled to you know, developing countries before, so I kind of knew what to expect. And the traveler in me was ready for it, but it was not exactly a location that, for example, my parents were going to come to visit. They came to France multiple times. They came to Indonesia. The Congo was a bit of a stretch. They actually considered it just for the cultural experience. But I mean, it's not even just the flights alone. It's crazy expensive just to get there because we were so like, it was an eight hour trip to Amsterdam. And then from Amsterdam, you'd go to Paris. And then from Paris, you had another eight hour flight. 
And that flight, when you're flying over the Sahara Desert, it really feels like you're just like going to the end of the earth. I can't think of any other way to explain it, but every time I did that last flight from Paris to Congo, I was like, where the hell do we live? This is insane. But I loved it. The adventurer in me loved that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so amazing that you were able to capture a lot of that experience with the blog, with your kids' books. We'll link to all the kids' books in the show, to all your books in the show notes, because I think people will really like them. But then you made the decision to come back. Uh, Was that the job changed or things, or you just were ready to come home? You know what? I was just about to say, don't get me wrong. It was not all roses in Congo, for sure. And that's, I think what did it there was a certain point and it's funny how you find yourself in a relationship with someone and and my husband and I very much balanced each other out um in Indonesia I went through like a hard spell where I was like I don't know about this and then in Congo he was like I don't know about this and so we kind of like when one person's down you pick the other person up and he had had enough of Africa at that point and I mean I went we gave up a lot of um creature comforts, I guess Mm -hmm. you'd say. And just, we were very isolated in Congo. There wasn't very, and we were used to traveling a lot and having places nearby. And that was always a perk for us of like when we lived in Indonesia, we went to Thailand and we went to Singapore and we went to Vietnam. And there were just a lot of, so even when things on the compound weren't great, we knew that we would have these really cool adventures with our kids. And we did get to have those in Congo. We went on safari and we went to Namibia and South Africa and we loved that, but it was becoming farther and fewer between because of where we lived. It was so expensive to get anywhere and it took so much time like to get to South Africa that was right below us. We had to fly across Africa to Ethiopia, sleep overnight and fly all the way down the entire continent to get to a country that was right below us. it was insanely expensive because they knew that the only people like you could only get out on air France, air Ethiopia. And they knew that the only people who could afford to get out were the people who really wanted a vacation and could afford to pay for it. So there was just, we got to a point where we said, if the, if the bad outweighs the good at any point, it's time to come home. And so we were kind of, you know, two years is a long time to be without a lot of, things that we take for granted here. And I feel like COVID has taught us a lot about what we take for granted. Mm -hmm. And we've said in our house here so many times, COVID reminds me of living in the Congo because there was really, there was no infrastructure where we lived. There was nowhere to go, nothing to do. We could go to the beach, but I mean, all of the things we take for granted, like going to the grocery store, we would go to the market. We had no mail. We had like, our kids didn't have the options of things they have to do here in Calgary. So this just stay home for four months business that we've been doing here during, uh, during COVID that was really familiar to us. So we just were, okay, let's just hang out again. Cause sometimes there'd be monsoon rains and we were just stuck in this little apartment for days on end, but we would have no electricity or we'd have no water. The water would cut sometimes for eight hours and So that made coming back to Canada or the idea of coming back to Canada really enticing. And we thought, okay, our kids are getting older. They've never lived in a place where they had cousins or grandparents. And we just, we'd been away for 10 years and we just felt like we kind of were ready to have a pause at home. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm sorry. My face was like going a bit off because I have a two-year-old and a four and a half-year-old and I'm like, (laughs) 
those first two weeks of COVID when it was so cold here and we were stuck indoors, I was like, this is just the worst. Once it got warmer and we were able to go out and do things, it was fine. But I was like, oh, to be stuck in with monsoons and not have like the Wi-Fi and like the TV. I'm like, yeah, that, that was a real thing. And then even like if we wanted to Skype, well, back then we were using Skype instead of Zoom. But if that's how we got in touch with our family and our friends back home, but it was an eight hour time change. So it was, there was challenges that people don't usually think about, but again, all in the name of adventure, I guess, right? We came away with some really amazing stories and experiences as a family. Yeah. So how did your, how did both you and your kids adjust to coming home? Um, it was probably far easier for my husband and I, because we met in Calgary. We were both Canadian. For my kids, it was, kids are really resilient. So they adjust and they kind of just roll with it. And I think as long as their family unit is together and they feel loved, they're okay. So they just came to Canada and it was the first time they had ever lived in a country that speaks English in their entire life. So everything from the people at the stores to the radio, to what they're getting on TV, for them, that was really probably the biggest change. Because even when we lived in Indonesia, we were on a French compound and Congo is a Francophone country. So they were always operating in French, even though they speak English with me. And I remember they came back and they were still little, but those first two weeks, I was here by myself. My husband stayed back in Congo for about a month. And those first two weeks that they were back, I was like, why are they misbehaving so much? Like, this is exhausting. And then I remembered that they were operating in their second language 24 seven for the first time in their entire life. And I thought back to what that was like for me. And it is mentally exhausting um, for anyone who's trying to learn another language and fully immerse themselves. So I think that that was the biggest challenge probably for my kids. And when they, I've told this story before that when they went to school, they go to a Francophone school here in Calgary, but they didn't realize, or they didn't share with me until about two weeks in. They said, mom, do you know that everyone in my school can speak English? I was like, oh my God, these kids are having culture shock. But my husband and I just, we just came back to life here. We just jumped right back in. And so we didn't have to really experience anything different, but for them, malls and movie theaters and like those trampoline parks that they have out by the airport. I can't think of those like flying squirrel and yeah. the ninja ingenation, like their minds were kind of exploding in that sense. And Halloween, their first Canadian Halloween, they were like, are you sure we can wear a costume to school? And the first Valentine's day, are you sure everyone's going to be bringing these cards? And I'm like, I'm a teacher. I know this. This is one country where I know what's going on because we always had like, we kind of, as a family would like flub things like, oops, I didn't know it was that day in French school because I'm not French. We'll figure it out next year. But for the first time ever, I was like, as a mom, I felt really confident because I knew exactly what was supposed to happen. And yes, we dress up on Halloween and yes, you give out cards on, on Valentine's day. But those are things that people don't really think about because that's just our normal here. Yeah. Well, yeah. And especially if they've never lived here before, like being born over overseas. Oh, it's so interesting.
okay, I wanted to take a quick second to interrupt this interview to tell you that we have extended this Stress Less Summer Bundle sale. So if you don't know what this is, this is me combining four of some of our most popular programs, combining them together, giving you 50% off. And the reason we're doing this is quite frankly because we've all got a lot on our plates right now right? Life is just a little bit stressful. We're getting back into the swing of things in September. And here's the thing. I do not want you to say that 2020 was a complete write-off. Now I get it. There's a lot going on in 2020. Believe you me, I understand what's at stake, what's happening, how it's affecting our lives, how challenging it is. But I know that we can also manage your stress right now. I know we can because my clients that I have worked with are doing just that. They have jobs, they have kids, they have everything going on, and yet they are stressing less, they are finding some vibrancy throughout this, and they are not writing off 2020. I know you can do this too. I know because when my clients do the work, when they do the programs, they see results. So the Stressless Summer Bundle includes our signature Stressless in 90 Days program, which is going into the vault mid-September. So it's your last chance to get that on a self-led basis. It's stressless at work. It's stressless about your body. And if you've got a little bit of that monkey mind going on right now, it's a stressless mindfulness and meditation course. All of those four programs bundled together to give you 50% off. So if you want to make sure that you take advantage of this bundle before it goes away on September 15th, go to stresslessladies.podia.com dot com and look for the stressless summer bundle. I guarantee that if you do the work, if you are constantly showing up for yourself, you will stress less. And when you stress less, so much opens up for you in your life. Yes, even during a pandemic. So again, if you want to sign up before September 15th, go to stresslessladies.podia.com and look for the stressless summer bundle. Okay, back to the interview. You uh, edited a book called Once Upon an Expat with your experiences and other women around the world of sort of what it takes to make that leap. Um, we talked about resilience and how kids have it, but like, what do you think it takes for, for adults and the women listening to, to take that kind of leap? What kind of careers do they need? What kind of personality traits do they need to do this? Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is courage, because a lot of times it's easier to not do something than it is to make a giant change in your life. And with every move we did, and every, especially the bigger moves, like the move to come home, and we always have the conversation in our house on whether we're going to go again. And now that we're home, it's easier to stay. And when we were away, it was easier to just go to a different country than it was to leave the expat life and set up on our own. It back in Canada in a quote unquote normal life. So I would say courage because those decisions are hard and you have to kind of be brave and willing to make mistakes and flexibility because you have to, it's not going to be perfect. You need to be flexible and adapt to things that happen that maybe you didn't plan for. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, the interesting part is I think once you develop that through travel, like you can apply that in all sorts of other ways, like you starting a business, right? You need that courage in the end to be able to deal with the uncertainty and to bounce back. Absolutely. And I was never a writer. 
I have an English degree and that's what my undergrad is in, but I was a teacher. I'd never written anything beyond a paper for university. So I just wanted to start sharing my stories and that adaptability and flexibility. And I think a lot of expat women do that. And we see a lot of women here who are, for example, on maternity leaves, and then they find something that they're passionate about. And next thing you know, they're turning it into a little home business, but that also takes courage. And so it's the courage in stepping forward in what you love to do that brings things to your life that can make you happy no matter where you are even if you're living in the middle of nowhere without your people. And so the courage to make the changes in your life that you maybe didn't expect. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, I'm going to encourage everyone to go and read that book because I think you'll learn so much about these opportunities on the career piece though. Like I know oil and gas, like I've worked in oil and gas, there's tons of opportunities to travel and teaching. Did you find from editing that book that there's definitely other careers that people can get into that allow them to move more easily? Definitely. Um, there was always military families, diplomat families. Of course we were in the oil and gas community. So those are the people that I was with most. Also I had a friend who her husband was, he worked on aircrafts So different, like I would say bigger international companies have different opportunities for movement. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, cause yeah, if you'd, so I want to share with you really quickly and with our listeners, I have this great dream. My husband's from Scotland of us going back for one year and like letting our kids go to school there and like get to know their cousins really well beyond like zoom and Skype and all these kinds of things, trying to sell my husband on it. He's like eight weeks (laughs) sounds good to me. And I'm like, but like, cause all my family's from there as well. And I'm like, just got to work through all the like logistics of the house and the selling it, not selling it here, renting it out here and doing it there. And I think COVID makes that feel less possible, but I'm hoping that post COVID we can like rebuild that energy. It can happen and be careful because you say a year, but I said three years. Look what happened. <laughs> Once I you would stay it, longer. Part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was like, you would be home with your family and your friends and all the things. No. Sounds we'll great. work on him. I have to know, like, obviously with COVID, you're going to be doing travel closer to home and road trips and you're driving across the country. Did I read that right? Read that right. On your own with two kids. On my own with two kids, because I figured we kind of did this stuck in the home thing. We've done that for the last, I don't know, what is it? Four months now, but my family is from Thunder Bay. My husband's family is from New Brunswick. And I thought, well, if we're not really supposed to be getting on a plane and we're not doing some big overseas adventure, why don't I just drive the kids to New Brunswick? Having said that, our plan may have changed because I think New Brunswick is still going to be locked down. So I might only go as far as Thunder Bay, but that's still 22 hours in a car with two children on my own. So again, I need an adventure. I always need a challenge, right? Yeah. Do you think that like the travel has like, okay, this is a mother's perspective would like a four and a half year old boy who I love him to death, but he doesn't listen super well. Do you think that the travel has made your kids like have to behave for lack of a better word? Better? Absolutely. I, I think, I mean, everyone's biased to their own children, I would imagine, but I do feel like my kids have been all over and, and we've taken them. Mm-hmm. They've been traveled to over 30 countries with us. And so they just know that, well, 
I can, I can go across the world. I've done it. I've with babies and toddlers, and they know that they're not going to run away because this isn't the place to do that. And it's kind of airports were like a playground for them. That was what they were used to more than going to the playground or at the airport again. And now I know that this is where I have to stay by mom. And when we're in, like, we always travel and my kids just hold my hand because that's what we do when we're in a foreign country. And so it's become, it's their normal. And you, what you grew up with is what, you know, and when you're being like all over the world and in, in different places in France, for example, eating at a restaurant is, well, it's a, what are they, a UNESCO world cuisine in France is a UNESCO world heritage item experience. Yeah. Experience, right. And you don't grow up in France and have an iPad on the table when you're out at a restaurant. So they've learned, and and this is something that they learn in school in France from the time that they're three years old, they eat with glasses and cutlery and it is just their normal. Mm-hmm. So traveling and going all over and, and being in places where people speak differently and look differently and eat different foods. I feel like they maybe have just been wired a little bit differently. Like I didn't grow up like that. Yeah. Well, the first time I went overseas to a developing country, I was in my twenties and my eyes were bugging out of my head. Whereas my kids just think that's normal. And I love that. Nice. Yeah. I just remember seeing that picture of like, you would like six trolleys of luggage and your kids were just sitting there and I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> my son would be like running loops and you'd be like, Jack, like chill out. Like, and, just... and I was by myself. And, and in hindsight, that does seem crazy because it feels exhausting to look back on that. Like, how did I do that by myself? But we just didn't know any different. And if I wanted to get home, that's how I did it. And my kids knew that when they got on that plane, they were getting the iPad for 30 hours and they could eat whatever they want. So they loved getting on the plane because we didn't give them iPads all the other time because yeah. I needed that to be a treat for when I was traveling solo with them. Yeah. So they were like, just get me on that plane. Cause I know that I can just go into the zone with my snacks and my iPad for 30 hours and they would sit. I mean, we obviously yeah. have to get up and change planes in that time, but that's a lot of travel time. Yeah. Now my brother lives in Mackenzie Lake and I live in inner city Calgary, which is maybe a 25 minute drive on the Deerfoot If you're from Calgary, And this is how fast kids can change because we weren't even out of Mackenzie Lake yet. And my daughter said, how long is this drive going to (laughs) be? This is the kid who could sit 30 hours on a plane and actually can't drive for 20 minutes. So they're just so adaptable. They're little Calgarians now. Oh, that's funny. So you've traveled to so many places, but where is on the list post-COVID international travel available? Um, See, it's different now because we're based out of Calgary. So when we lived overseas, I felt like anywhere was an option. I wanted to go float in the Dead Sea and I still do. And we have this like a gallery wall of our kids in all these really cool destinations in our living room. And I said to my husband, I want to take the kids to India. And I know it sounds really bad, but I want a picture of them in front of the Taj Mahal for our gallery wall. And I've, I've traveled to India. So I have that picture of me by myself. And I was like, I want that one up there. I want like our family. I just, it's one of the most like magical places I've ever been. And I like travel in India is not easy. And I didn't love it when I was there, to be honest, I hated it. And I was like, I am never coming back here again. But when you live in Congo, you know, parts of India are all of a sudden looking pretty glamorous. Yeah. So that was somewhere that we've talked about going 
when the little girls are a little bit older, I would love to climb Mount Kilimanjaro with them. I just, we have as a family collectively, a really adventurous spirit. And my husband's always got crazy ideas of places that he wants to go. And I, there's nowhere that I don't want to go. So he'll name places like when I was pregnant and we were going to go on a baby moon. He said, I really want to go to Bosnia. I was like, who the hell wants to go to Bosnia? Who says that? Um, and then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, okay, let's go to Bosnia, whatever. Uh, because for me, I'm like, well, worst case scenario, I get to stay in a nice hotel and eat at restaurants and we get to go on lots of dates. So I really will go anywhere. Yeah. I think we're, we're all matched up well in our family for that. That's awesome. So then you come back to Calgary, you're looking for community and it maybe is a little harder than you anticipated. How did wine, women and well-being start? Cause I mean, you're, you're a teacher, you have kids. It's not like you're not already busy. <laughs> How did that come to be? Uh, so I found that in every place I lived, when there was a women's community that was already established, there was one in Indonesia, there was one in Congo, I could just walk in without being invited and know that I was welcome there. And that made life so easy for me. I remember in the Congo, the girl saying to me, oh, well, the, the ladies organization there was called Pink. And they said, oh, well, Pink's got a book club. It doesn't matter if you read the book, just come, we can have wine. I had been in the country for two days. I walked into that book club and I had 15 new friends. And that was two days into a foreign country. And I thought, okay, well, I'm all right now because then I had plans for the weekend because I met people and they're like, oh, we're doing this. And they said, oh, well, Pink is having, so once a month they would have events for kids once a month. They'd have events for families. They had just ladies nights out. I thought this has changed my entire experience because instead of sitting at home by myself, lonely, not knowing who to reach out to, where to make friends on my second day, I felt like I belonged and I didn't need an invitation because it was open to everyone in this community. And I thought like, that was so big for me. That changed my entire experience. And when I came back to Calgary, because my Instagram account on Canadian expat mom has such an international following, I would get some messages to people. Oh, I see you just moved back to Canada. Where's the international women's group? Like, what is, what's the group? Where do people go? And then sometimes I would answer, well, you live in Toronto and I live in Calgary and those are very different spaces. So I don't know what Toronto has, but, and I don't think that Calgary necessarily has anything for, there was groups for entrepreneurs and groups for moms, but there wasn't just anywhere that had monthly nights out planned. And then someone said, well, are you going to do that? And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. Like that would be weird. And the, as I said, no, my mind started like grinding. I thought, well, there's no reason I, I couldn't do it, I suppose. And I don't really know what that would look like. So I sat with the idea and things kind of grow in your mind. Like someone plants a seed and it grows. And then the more you water it, the more it grows. And I was watering it. And I was watering it at two in the morning when I was lying in bed thinking like, this could be something. And again, the courage piece comes in because when you say, I'm going to do this and give it a try, I could end up being there by myself. And I just told everyone I know, and I announced it on Instagram and Facebook and all the places that you can announce things that I'm going to do this thing. And then I'm there by myself. 
And I'd be be like, okay, give me that bottle of wine because now I just need to drink it because I'm really embarrassed. But it worked out and it, there was some kind of energy in that room that night that I immediately knew that we were onto something. And the feedback I got was so positive and such a welcoming space that right after I had the first one, I knew I was going to want more. I knew I wanted to make it a regular thing and I knew I wanted it to grow. And at that time I didn't know what it, that looked like, but in the last year, cause it's only, it was a year in May and now we're June. I don't know when this is going to go onto the air, but in a one year time span, we've grown to 11 branches across Canada. So I think that really speaks to the need for community in women and a sense of belonging. And I think you're so right on that because there are so many women's groups, but I often find there's like a networking component to it. And it's more about pitching yourself as opposed to like, let's just connect and like get to know each other. And like, and you have wine, I'm going to have a gin and tonic, but like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, just be able to relax and get to know people. That friendship piece is really, can be very challenging the older you get. Right. And it's not even just, you move to a different city, but it's maybe your friends were at this workplace and now you're at this workplace or you're wherever it is, or, or you have kids and your friends don't like it. Yeah. And you know what, sometimes people's path in life, their paths in life just kind of separate. And like you said, maybe you're a stay at home mom or your kids don't, your friends don't have kids and you do, or you're working from home and you don't have the opportunity to meet new people. It's really hard to find a space to meet new people at a certain point in your life. And I think there's something special about not feeling the need to be invited. Like you can just go and there's the bravery piece and the courage piece, because especially if you've never done it before, showing up at a place by yourself, knowing that there's going to be a room full of people and you might not know anyone that takes courage and that takes bravery. And I feel like because I've shared my story so much and because people know how many times I've been the new girl and because I'm making this space for the new girls that it makes it a little bit less scary to show up. And because I'm at all of those events. So the amount of times I've lost track of how many people have said to me, Hey, I'm here by myself. I'm new. You're Lisa. And I, and I love that because then I always know of people who come regularly and people who come on their own regularly. And I'm like, Oh, you should meet this person. And, and that's why we're there because then if they come back again, they're not the new person there's. So it, it takes the bold step, even the, the little things like leaving our house sometimes. And yes, some people have a business. Some people don't have a business. Some people are new to the city. Some people have lived in Calgary their whole life. And I love now that some people come with their mom. And so the age range is so wide that it's people who are in their twenties or thirties and they're bringing their mom and then their mom brings a friend. And so it, it goes up to like, my mom's come to events. She's not always in Calgary, but whenever she is, she comes and it's, there's no, there's never a feeling of, well, why are you here? You don't fit in because it really is for anyone. Yeah. And I love the inclusivity of it. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And I think it's really smart how you've set it up for all of these branches. Cause I think a lot of people would be like, well, no, we have to build it like solidly for a year here before we expand. But you're like, no, it's about community. And so it's in many ways, I'm just going to say, it seems like you're setting it up so that you can travel again and it runs itself. <laughs> Well, that the crazier things have happened, right? Yeah. Maybe getting some itchy feet post COVID. Always. My feet are always itchy. My husband actually told me last week that maybe like our next date night needs to be like, let's just go to the airport for a coffee just so we can feel like we're going somewhere. 
Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, I wish you all the best with wine, women, and well-being. And I look forward to going to more events in person when they, uh, when we're allowed to, when it's safe to. Yeah. We all, yes. Yeah. But in the meantime, people can find your events online. Uh, this is going live in September. So who knows what will be happening by then. But, My fingers uh, are crossed. I yeah. hope we're back. Well, we'll move into the final five questions I ask all of my guests. So the first is, what are some of the things or the projects that get you fired up, but like in a good way? Women supporting each other, women supporting women, women helping women grow 100%. And if people have seen me speak or they've seen me talk about other people who are women in business, I just think there's such power in supporting each other and having community over competition and you just never know why people are put into your lives. And when we help, I'm a big believer in the rising tide floats all boats. Yeah. I love it. Well, as a writer, I'm assuming you're also a bit of a reader. So what's one of the most inspiring uh, books that you've read in the past few years? I'm a big fan of anything Rachel Hollis or Brene Brown because I just find them really inspiring and encouraging. And if I'm having a day where I'm kind of feeling blah or feeling, well, I don't think what I'm doing really matters. I put on an audiobook, and I'm, I'm an audiobook junkie. Mm -hmm. So I have like when I'm cooking dinner, when I'm cleaning the kitchen, when I'm buying groceries, whatever, I usually always have an audiobook in my ears if I can. And I just find those two women very inspiring. Yeah. Oh, and Brene Brown's podcast is just fire. Yeah. yeah stress. So I'm a stress reduction coach, very passionate about helping women to reduce their stress. Expat travel in general, I would say fairly can add a layer of stress. Absolutely. What are some of your go-to strategies for handling stress that have kind of served you around the world? Uh, absolutely. I would say running and a bubble bath. Those are my two go-to many days. I have both of those things in my life as regular practice. I just find that when I go for a run and even if I like the thing about running is once you stop doing it, you suck again and you have to start over. So even if I haven't run in a long time, if I'm just starting and I can't go very far and it's more of a walk run, it's just getting my body moving, getting my heart rate up, sweating. I always feel that better after I come back from a run and just a warm bath. I've had a long day and I'm tired and I'm feeling cranky. If I run a bubble bath, especially in the winter, something about a bubble bath in the winter, I just feel like a new person when I'm done. What would you say to the women who are like, I don't have time for self-care because I hear that a lot. Well, I think that <laughs> I'm trying to think of the kindest way to word this. Go for it. I, I think that we have time for what we make time for. And there's time, well, if people have time to watch TV, they have time, turn off the TV and go run yourself a bath, go for a walk. It's, it's what we prioritize in our life. And I actually found that very difficult when I went back to teaching full-time and then I started Wine Women Wellbeing and that started growing quite quickly and was taking up more time than I anticipated. And I have two kids who have activities and there was a year of my life where I joined the 5 a.m. club because that's the only way I could make it work. And I knew that for me, for my mental health, exercise was so important that I didn't want that to be something that fell to the wayside. So I got up every day at 5 a.m. and I jumped on my spin bike and I had a quick spin before the kids got up. And did I love getting up at 5 a.m.? Not really, but it was important to me. So I made time for it. And I use those little cracks in my day wherever I can to make time for the things that are important to me. 
I love that because I'm always telling people like micro moments of self-care. If you do enough of these micro moments, it makes a big difference. We don't have to take an hour. I mean, currently none of us are really going to get massages or having spa days or whatever, but these little layers in makes a huge difference. Absolutely. I totally agree. What's one of the best uh, life lessons you've learned or advice that you've been given? Fail forward. So when you make a mistake, you get back up again, you try again. And if you are taking risks and, and trying to be a change maker and trying new things, the odds are that, yeah, you're going to fail more times than if you are sitting on your couch and you do nothing and you don't try and do anything new, you are absolutely going to fail, but you need to be okay with failing forward or, Ooh, that didn't work. That didn't go as well as I wanted. I'm just going to try again and be kind would be the other one. Lead with kindness, extend kindness to others wherever you can without expecting anything in return, but just if you lead your life with kindness in the forefront, it just is better. It just makes the world a better place. Yeah. I love it. And the final question, Lisa, this is my very Oprah question. What does it mean to you to live your best life? To live my best life would be now with, at the risk of sounding very selfish, to do what brings me joy and to spread that joy to others. And that kind of is on the same vein as leading with kindness. I think that when we live our best life and we do things that make ourselves happy, if we fuel that, then happiness goes to everyone in our life. When I am happy because I'm doing self-care and I've gone for a run and I had about whatever makes me feel nice. I'm doing things uh, that bring me joy. I am more joyful for my kids and my husband and the kids in my class and the people in my life. And it just seeps. And I think that that if more people did that, people think, Oh, well, it's too selfish to do things that make me happy. But I really think that you show up differently in your life and that affects everyone else in your life when you take care of yourself first. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've so enjoyed having you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. So big thank you to Lisa for joining me on the podcast. It was such a pleasure to have her. Now, again, if you want to make sure that you have all the tools in your tool belt to handle your stress this fall, go to stresslessladies.podia.com and look for the Stressless Summer Bundle and save 50% off on our most popular four courses. I hope to see you there.